Thank you so much. It's, uh, it really is like being back at the British Bible Weeks when you hear the rain. It's not authentic unless you can hear the rain and uh, feel the rain. And uh, I remember when we had the Bible Weeks grew, when we had our first Bible Week in the south of England, there were 2,700, and it grew and grew to 10,000. And then we moved it to Stonely Bible Week, and uh, it grew from 10,000 to nearly 30,000. And uh, virtually every year, there'd be some rain. I mean, <laughs> it rained. I remember one year when the first week, it just kind of rained incessantly. And uh, at the end of the week, the people were leaving, and the next crowd come in because it overlapped into two weeks. And the second week, were coming in, and we were the guys leaving at the end of the first week said, because it had stopped raining briefly while people were breaking camp and going, and the second lot were coming in. They were kind of crossing one another, and they were saying, well, it's okay for you. We've had this terrible week, and uh, obviously it's getting brighter now. But that was only for that day. <laughs> and the next week, it rained even more. It was incredible. It's just incessant rain. And it's, we only lost one session ever in any of the Bible weeks, and it was in that second week, because the tent was on a kind of a slope, and, uh, and the river that ran through the tent uh, was so deep that people had boots on, you know, what we call Wellington boots, boots that come up to here kind of thing. And, and you put your foot in, and it came over the top of the boot. And that was running right through. So this is nothing. I mean, this is nothing. This is amazing. This is just the kind of interruption in your fabulous weather that you get here. Whereas we endure this stuff all the time, and people come back year after year. And uh, it's just staggering, really. So it's great to be here. And a little rain kind of makes me feel at home. Uh, Wendy and I have been in the US for about nine weeks. Uh, we have a couple of weeks to go. We're looking forward to Celebration Northeast after this one. And then we take off uh, to get back to the UK, to the British summer. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> But we missed Wimbledon, tragedy. Uh, but we'll get back for some cricket and stuff. Uh, and I thought also, while the rain was pouring down, I thought, this is kind of back up to Jonah, isn't it? We all kind of feel like we're somewhere <laughs> in the depths of the water, uh, like Jonah was. Anyway, we're going back to Jonah. We're not leaving him in the great fish. We're going back to Jonah. I'm going to read on the story, and then I'll fill in a little, because I realize there may well be some here uh, this morning who were not here on Friday evening when I kicked off. So we'll do a little recap. But we'll read, first of all, from uh, Jonah 2. I think we'll read both chapters. They're very short chapters, Jonah 2 and 3. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I call out of my distress to the Lord. And he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you'd cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I've been banished from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. 
Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, don't let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Don't let him eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. Let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way, from his violence, which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he declared he would bring upon them, and he didn't do it. Father, thank you so much for the joy of friendship. We thank you again for the way we've been lovingly cared for here, served in such a wonderful way. We thank you for the laughter, the joy, the excellence. We thank you for all those who've served to make this possible. Father, thank you for what you put in men's hearts, women's hearts to serve. Put first the kingdom. Lord, we thank you. We worship you. We bless you for, Lord, the privilege of being a little town together here, a little group serving God together, camped together in the name of Jesus. And Father, we ask you right now, please, in the name of Jesus, that you will come and be our teacher, that you will take this word of yours, Father, please, and apply it into our lives by the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come amongst us. Come make yourself known. Come let us feel the nearness of our God and to hear our Heavenly Father speaking to us, drawing us on, giving us fresh courage, fresh conviction, fresh awareness of your commitment to us, Father. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Those wonderful words start chapter 3. The word of the Lord came again to Jonah. These are tremendous words given to a man who'd completely thrown away all that was precious to him. He'd fled from the presence of the Lord. He'd, he'd made his own choice. In a sense, Jonah is a bit like the human race, the human race having been given a commission from God, a word from God, go fill the earth, go and represent me in the earth, go and bring in my rule and government across all the nations. There was that commission from God. And the human race decided to go its own way, decided to choose a different path. And then in the mercy of God, as we've been singing in our great worship time together, the word of the Lord came a second time to the human race. God has spoken again. God has shown mercy. And the Bible's full of uh, character stories where God comes to people who make a choice not to go God's way. They start commissions. They get an encounter with God. They, they meet him. He says, now come and do such and such for me. And, and, and sometimes there's delay. Sometimes it doesn't work out in the way it was expected. So you get Abraham, for instance. Abraham is promised You'll have a child, it's going to happen. You're, you're a man of purpose, you're a man of destiny. You're going to have a child, it seems amazing, it seems incredible. He's so elderly, his wife's barren, you think, how can this possibly happen? And, and yet he's got faith, he's looking to God, he's, he's trying to put God first. You see courageous stories of him standing for God, standing for righteousness. But after a season, it just doesn't happen. There is no child. What about this promise God gave me? What about this kind of word from, I saw the Lord of glory. It says in Acts 7, the Lord of glory appeared to Abraham. There was this encounter, this promise, and it hasn't happened. And time is going by. And then one day, Sarah comes to him and says, look, this isn't going to happen. Look, take my slave girl. Have a child through her. You've got to get this promise somehow. Somehow, well, let's produce it ourselves. I mean, if, if God's not going to do it, let's us do it. Let's produce this child. And he goes to Hagar, and the child is born. And instead of it bringing joy, it brings confusion. It brings a sense of failure. Well, we did this. Where, where's God in this? And, and do you know, it's, it's, there's 13 years of silence 
in the story of Abraham. And then after 13 years, it says this, the Lord again appeared to Abraham and begins to speak to him again. The Lord spoke a second time. I'm, I'm someone who wants to thank God with all my heart that God spoke to me a second time. I know when I was sitting as a backslidden Christian, terribly backslidden, wasting my life, a real disgrace to the gospel. And one, one morning, a guy preached. And he preached on a verse in Galatians. He took it right out of context, really. But it really spoke to me. It says, you did run well. You did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? And, and the whole story of Galatians is a bit different to my story. But he was saying, come on, you meant it when you started. That's how it came over to me. You did run well. You, you got off to a good start. You began to follow me. And then this word, who is, who is, who's uh, distracted you? That you're no longer obeying the truth. And the Bible's full of people like that. It's full of Abraham. I mean, Abraham's one of the heroes of the Bible. He, in the end, he's, he does so well. In the end, he believes God. Everything happens. But he has this season where he stops believing. That's the season where he says, well, I'll produce it then. I'll make it happen. And he just loses God. God. God doesn't speak to him for 13 years. And then God just starts again. God, you know, we can be faithless. He remains faithful. He comes again. He speaks again. He comes uh, uh, to Abraham again. The word of the Lord came a second time. It's wonderful that the word of the Lord comes to us a second time. You think of Moses. When Moses tried to deliver Israel by using his own strength, killed an Egyptian, went out and saw the Hebrews fighting one another, banged their heads together, what are you doing? And they turned on him. Who do you think you are? And he ran away. Forty years later, when he'd just been looking after a handful of sheep, walking around the wilderness, life is lost, everything's gone, it's finished, it's all over. That whole sense of motive, that faith, that courage to identify with God's people instead of being a prince. I mean, he paid such a price. and It all went wrong. I just know this morning, I'm speaking to people who feel it's just gone wrong for us. It's not what I expected it to be. And then the Lord comes to Moses. When he's kind of given up, we'll just, we'll just carry on. But all that excitement, that sense of being caught up with God, it's all over. Forget it. And God comes to him again. Let's think of Simon Peter in the New Testament. There's not a years and years delay there, but there's Simon Peter saying, I won't let you down. Others may, I won't. They may run away. I will not. I will not run away. I'll, I won't fail you. And suddenly the heat's turned on. Suddenly the pressure's there. Suddenly his life's being threatened. Suddenly, what are they doing to Jesus? I mean, Jesus could usually walk through the crowd. They tried to kill him before. They tried to stone him. He seems invincible. Jesus is invincible. But it, what's happening? He's not invincible. What's happening? He's not working out like I thought it would. I thought Jesus would be okay. I thought he'd be safe. What's happening? They're beating him. They're smashing his face. They're punching him. They're, what's going on? And then they turn to him and say, aren't you with him? No, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. I don't know him. I, I, I don't know him. It's all over. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure some of Peter thought, that's that. That's all over. That's the end of it. Beloved, the Bible is full of people who just feel, it's gone. I've lost it. I've lost it. And that's what it's like for the whole human race. We lost it. But the word of the Lord came a second time. God sent Jesus. God has appeared again. God has spoken again. And that's how it was for Jonah. This wonderful, I think it's a wonderful verse. Right in the center of Jonah, the word of the Lord came again to Jonah a second time. There's another hope, Jonah. You can still fulfill what I called you to. You're my prophet. You're my servant. I'm going not only to get this job done, I'm going to get it done through you. There are works that God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. We're his workmanship. Sometimes his work takes a long time. Sometimes his work on us takes all kinds of batterings and disappointments and setbacks and delays. He deals with our pride. He deals with our arrogance. Maybe we started off very gifted and people thought, wow, he's going to go far. And you thought, yes, I am. And then, oh, no, it went wrong. I went wrong. Actually, God is working in the things that look hard and tough and difficult and building stuff into you so that when he calls you again, like Moses, who was so arrogant at the beginning, when Moses gets used, he's the meekest man in all the earth. God's working in the delays. God's working in the setbacks. God is accomplishing his purpose 
in us. He's so interested, not only getting the job done, but bringing you to maturity. He's got ambition for you. He's got more ambition for you than you've got for yourself. That he wants to bring us through to his place, make us effective, and, and fulfill in us. Make, perform a work in us, changing us. And that often comes through setbacks, disappointments, tragedies, things that break your heart. But he comes through. That we may not trust in ourselves, but in him who raises the dead. That's what Paul says. He said, we were delivered to such a death. He said, he said, if you knew what we went through, we despaired of life itself. Then he says this, that we may not trust in ourselves, but in him who raises the dead. Have you been through that yet? You come to the place where you think, oh, I can't, I, it's like I've been delivered to death. That I may not trust in myself. I may not have confidence in this human form. I've seen through it. <laughs> always remember dear John Wimber saying, we're not very impressed with ourselves. I'm not very impressed with me. When God takes you through things, you think, no, I've got nothing to offer really. That you may not trust in yourself, but in him who raises the dead. And God moves your confidence to a new place. And the word of the Lord comes to you a second time. And, and Jonah's gone through that. He, he's, he's delivered to death. But that's not the end of the story. Isn't that wonderful? We just sang that great in Christ alone. We sang it again. Hey, he's in the body, in the, in the ground, his body lay. One greater than Jonah is here. Up he rose. God's got resurrection life for us, beloved. And we can feel hopeless. We can feel I've got nothing to give, but we serve a God of resurrection. Amen? A God of second chance, a God of new beginnings. That's the wonder of our God. So the word of the Lord came to him a second time this overwhelming grace, this phenomenal kindness of God that is still for us, that we still have his hand upon us. So let's see, that comes kind of halfway through the reading. I want to back up now and say, what actually happened to Jonah? Well, first of all, I want to remind us, those of us who were uh, not here the other day, we, we saw how he uh, fled from the presence of the Lord. He's supposed to be a prophet. He's supposed to live in the presence of the Lord. The Lord says, I want you to do this. No, he went away. He went away from face-to-face -face fellowship. Elsewhere in the Bible says, where can I flee from your presence? But yeah, there is a sense in which you're no longer face-to-face -face with him. You're not enjoying him. Jonah should have been enjoying the presence of God. He's a prophet, but he ran away from that. We found, he, fell, he found a ship. In other words, he's no longer... As the, it says of Elijah again and again, the Lord said to Elijah, next phrase it says is, so Elijah arose and. You see that again and again. The Lord said to Elijah, go here. He arose and went. The Lord said to Elijah, go here. He arose and went. The Lord spoke to Jonah. He arose and went the other way. <laughs> and once he started doing that, he found a ship. He just went with the flow. He's no longer a man gripped with vision and purpose and prophetic calling. He's just going... We want to have, ah, oh, this turned up, this went, oh, is the ship going to Tarshish? You're kind of just letting life happen to you. And he fell asleep. He lost relevance. He failed the world. He's no longer got the, there's the world, there's the ship represents like the world in a storm. He's irrelevant. He's really lost it. In the end, he's thrown overboard. He found himself, I'm a Hebrew. He kind of comes back to who, who I really am. And like Jesus, he's hurled into the storm that they might live. And that's where we left him last time. He's just hurled out. He's, he's the scapegoat. Like Jesus, Jesus was the one, our scapegoat. He's the one who bore away our guilt so that we could go free. But let's see what happened next. He, we're told, Jonah prayed. All right, Jonah prayed. So when did he pray? <laughs> he prayed when he'd got nothing else he could do. See, he arrived at prayer. We tend to be like that, brothers and sisters. We, we tend to arrive at prayer instead of starting with prayer. The great thing about Elijah, when Elijah comes on the scene, he says, it won't rain till I say so. Where did you get that from? That's the first you hear of him. Now Elijah, it won't rain till I say so. Well, well, where, did he, where did he come from? Well, it says back in Deuteronomy, God said, if you serve other gods, I'll stop the rain. And in the New Testament, in James, it says Elijah prayed that it would not rain. Now, in the Old Testament, we don't, we don't meet him there. <laughs> New Testament explains he'd already been praying. 
before you meet him in the Bible. He's already praying. He's, he starts with prayer. Jonah arrives at prayer when there's nothing else you can do. When did he pray? When, when the, all other help is gone. And to, to be honest, that's where we tend to pray, when we hit, hit terrific crises. That's what stirs us to pray. That's what motivates us to pray. Our very first grandchild didn't live out his first day. He was born a beautiful baby, but he was brain dead immediately. The oxygen never got to his brain. And for Wendy and me, we were away at a conference, and my youngest son phoned me and this terrible, terrible, sad voice. He said, something terrible is happening. Something terrible has happened with the birth because the whole family, we've got five kids, and the first one's having our first grandchild, and wow, it's exciting, and we wake in the morning, we're going to go up this morning, but there's a call on my phone. It's all going wrong, Dad. Terrible news. And we made the journey, and people prayed all that day, but he was gone. A few years later, only just two or three years later, we were away. Actually, we were in Kenya, and uh, they were expecting another child. And it was terrible. It's this, this, this same terrible voice of my son Tim said, Dad, it's all going wrong. It's all going wrong. And, and when did I do? I mean, we got done. We pray. Talk about pray. We prayed and prayed and prayed. And I thought, Lord, this is intolerable. This is intolerable. And we cried out to God. And in his infinite mercy, the child was born as well. He's doing fine years later. But I was praying, Lord, this is intolerable. And I felt God said to me, yeah, you tolerate a lot of other stuff. I really felt God said to me, you really care about this. You, you won't put up with this. I, I was praying in that kind of way. I'm not going to put up with this. And I felt God saying to me, you put up with a lot. You're putting up with the fact there's no revival in your nation. You're putting up with this. You're putting up with that. I found God really spoke to me. Because sometimes we pray when we're in a crisis, don't we? We pray when, well, what else can we do? God doesn't want us to pray when, what else can we do? He wants us to pray anyway. He wants us to be like Elijah. Elijah's ahead of the story. Elijah's praying before the story breaks. He's the man who's already praying. And so, beloved, let's, let's learn this lesson. Jonah, is, he's way off course. This man, he hears from God, he ignores God. Now he's in a crisis. Now he prays. He, arri he arrives at prayer. Sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we keep on and we hit problems and say, oh, Lord, I'm exhausted. It's almost like heaven says, good. Oh, no, no, I mean, I'm really exhausted. I can't carry on. Good. <laughs> what? Perhaps you'll start looking to me. Because we kind of live without God. We get on with stuff. We don't take seriously what Jesus said about ask. Keep on asking. Men should always pray and not give up. Prayer is meant to be a priority for us. Not something, not a crisis thing. Something you turn up to when, when what else can you, you better start praying. What else can we do? We better pray. Now God wants us to learn to pray. God wants us to learn to trust him, to lay hold of him. When he prayed, he, remembered, he prayed when he remembered who he was. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a child of God. I have standing. I have a relationship. I'm a child of the king. I can ask him things. It's a reminder of who we are. It's, prayer has a lot to do with remembering your identity. The scripture says, shut the door and talk to your father. And your father, who knows what you need, will see you in secret. Hey, what a privilege is that? It's remembering I'm a son. I've got access to almighty God. Are you, it's remembering who you are. It's not like just saying your prayers. I hate listening through the radio sometimes. You get religious services on radio in England, nothing like the American television thing. It's just a formal thing. And they'll say, now a prayer, and they say their prayer. Now this is sons talking to a father. Remember, he remembered he was a Hebrew. That's when he prayed, when he remembered who he was. He remembered that God is accessible. He also saw what a terrible situation he was in. Thoroughly cornered, the water encompassed him, engulfed him, seaweed wrapped around him. God wants us to pray. Why pray when you can worry? No, let's pray. 
God wants us to pray. And praying is not worrying out loud. Praying is getting hold of God. That's what prayer, sometimes people just worry it all out, get up just as worried as when they started. Yeah, prayer is not worrying out loud. Praying is trusting God with thanksgiving. Laying our anxiety on him with thanksgiving. The peace of God, receiving peace from him. So that's when he prayed. He prayed when he hit the crisis. Beloved, let's learn to pray, yes, certainly in the crisis. But before the crisis, let's be men and women of prayer. Amen? It's what God wants from us. He wants us to be a people of prayer. Now, why did he pray? Well, he prayed because it was his only hope, but he also prayed when it says he remembered the Lord. He remembered what the Lord was like. And you get that extraordinary verse which NIV translates like this. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those that cling to worthless idols. Of course, in Jonah's day, that was a lot to do with worshipping idols of wood and things that they manufactured. God mocks them. He says, what are you doing? You, 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 you cut down a tree, you burn some of it, and you keep yourself warm, and then you pray to the other bit. You think, God, it's crazy. God, God mocks them. And, and, and God, God says, come on then, you idols, say something, say something, you know, say something's going to happen, come on, scare us. I mean, he mocks these idols. And he says, and those who make them are like them. It's like they can't speak, nor can you. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, dumb and dumber. <laughs> <laughs> your, your idols can't speak, and you worship them, you become like them. You've got nothing to say. Those who forfeit those who worship idols forfeit the grace that could be there. We, we know a real God who shows real grace, don't we? Don't forfeit the grace that could be yours. Don't cling to other things. Don't make other things your idols. Don't put your confidence in money, security. Don't put, your don't put it there. Don't worship mammon. You forfeit the grace that could be yours. There's grace for us. And that's what Jonah remembers. He remembers what God is like. I mean, I'm in this storm. I put my confidence in the wrong thing. My ability to choose. That's what he put his confidence in. I can choose. I will make my choice. He got it all wrong. He forfeited the grace. And he remembered what God was like. That's why he prayed. He remembered the possibility. What did he pray? He cried, help. You can start there, can't you? Help. Help. Sometimes that's, that's just the beginning. That's just the start. Just cry out to God. Maybe even this morning you're thinking, do you know, this is really speaking to me. Is there any hope for me? Is there hope for me? Why don't you even now say, help, Lord. Help me hear this. Just ask. A guy I knew, a Christian guy, he really messed up terribly. He was in a so-called Christian community where families were living together, but he was committing adultery with one of the other wives in the whole thing. He was, he was really far from God. And he suddenly had a heart attack. And I, he spoke to me later. He said, I was in the ambulance, and they're putting pipes on me. And, and he said, I heard one guy say to the other guy, I don't think he'll make it to the hospital. And he said, in my heart, backslidden, disobeying, committing adultery, he said, I cried out, help, help. That's so all you can pray sometimes. Help. And that's what he began to pray. Help, Lord, help. Because <laughs> you, you do help. You're merciful. You're merciful even to people in terrible sin, and foolishness. And that guy survived, and his marriage survived, and he came through. And his kids came through. God had mercy on that family. But he was right. I mean, he's right on the edge. I don't think he'll make it to the hospital. And he cried, help. That's what he began to cry, help. Please get me out of this. Help. And then he says this in verse 3, you have put me here. Now, sovereignty of God is a wonderful truth. And when Paul says, he says, he doesn't say I'm a prisoner of the Roman army. I'm a prisoner of Roman soldiers. He says I'm a prisoner of Christ. And he's in prison and he's suffering for the gospel. But again and again, he says, no, I'm a prisoner of Christ. If I'm in prison, that's where Jesus wants me. If there's delay, that's what I, I, I read these gospel stories, or the book of Acts, 
And, and you see this, at one, the end of one chapter, it says, they put him in prison, and it says just brief, half a sentence. It says, he stayed there for two years. I thought, huh? He stayed there for two years? This is the Apostle Paul. And God kind of left him in prison for two years. And I think, Lord Jesus, you have perfect permission to leave your apostle in prison for two years if you choose to. Because he's the Lord. And Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. If I'm in prison, it's Christ who's done this. I've had the privilege of meeting some Chinese leaders. I met one who was in prison for 21 years. One of the most radiant men I've ever met. He kind of shone the presence of Christ. He, he just, there was no resentment. There was no sense of loss or betrayal. He just, he just oozed confidence in God. Beloved, sometimes we hit setbacks and difficulties, and, and so quickly we whine. Oh, I don't know if God loves me. And Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. If, if I'm here, God's put me here because he's sovereign. He's Lord. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. I've just had the privilege of hearing Michael Eaton preach at his son's memorial service. His son was about 40, about the age of my oldest son, suddenly killed. Michael Eaton's a wonderful preacher lives in Nairobi, Kenya. And just to hear this man preach on the sovereignty of God, it's absolutely awesome. And his son's just been snatched from it. And he's just saying, God is Lord. He knows what he's doing. He's on the throne. He does all things well. It's just magnificent. This proclamation, you trust God. We trust God. We, we, we have a doctrine of sovereignty. It's not just the way it works out. And prayer grows from that. Prayer is made confident because we have a God who hears prayer and can act, is sovereign, totally in control of every circumstance. He works things out. He will provide for you meeting places for your church plants. He will provide for you resources to do it. He will provide for you leaders who will come through. He will provide for you. He's sovereign. He leads. He's with us. We need to believe in a sovereign God. Amen? We're not just tossed about by events and circumstances. He's he says, I'm here by God's will. That's that prayer. You, then you've got a good foundation. Help me, Lord. Now you've put me here. He's getting plugged back into God again. He's had enough of just going off. And, no, no, no. I'm coming back to God. Help me, Lord. You've put me here. This man who fled from the presence of the Lord is beginning to come. No, no, I've got to see God here. I'm going to find God in this. I'm going to find God's utter faithfulness. That's what he prayed. Lord, you put me here. You're bigger than my circumstances. You're over my circumstances. I'm your prisoner. Then he confessed his need. He says, I, I've been banished from your sight. Banished is a frightening word. In the, actually, in the NASB, it says expelled. It's like the last thing you can say. To, you know, if you say to your this child at school, if you don't do this, you get a detention. If you don't do this, you have to do more of this. You, you, have, this, you have to write things up. No, no, you're expelled. You're out. That's it. Finished. You go home to your parents. I've been expelled. That's it. I'm finished. And Jonah's come to that. He said, I've, I've been banished. Like, that's what used to happen to nobles back in the medieval years in the UK. If a noble was disloyal, he'd be punished, maybe imprisoned, or the ultimate, he'd be banished from the nation. You're out of here. And that's where Jonah sees I, the, the, the situation is terrible. I'm right out. Now, Lord God, I'm looking to you. And then you get this wonderful phrase in verse 4. It says, I will look again to your holy temple. You get the two things are very close to one another. I'm banished. I'll look again. The ultimate banishment is a terrifying thought. It says in Romans chapter 1, Three times it says it, God gave them up. That's the most terrifying thing. I once heard Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preach on that in Romans 1. He preached on those three verses. God gave them up. God gave them up. I've never known such an amazing time in the presence of a preacher. God gave them up. And he said, that's what hell is, where God, God won't speak anymore. That's it. You find that with Herod. When, when Herod... It says Herod was fascinated with John the Baptist. Used to love listening to him. Didn't, listen, didn't do anything he said. John the Baptist would say, repent, repent. No, 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 I won't repent. I, I'm fascinated by your charisma. There's something about you. It says he, he took him, put him in prison, then he'd go and listen to him. 
But he wouldn't do anything about it. It wouldn't change. It's a strange, sensual kind of man, King Herod. There's something about John the Baptist. Wow, this guy's powerful. He's powerful. And he had to go and listen to him, but didn't touch him. Then one day, Jesus is taken, and Pilate remembers, actually comes into Herod's area. And says, Jesus went to Herod. And Herod says, ah, Jesus? Ah, it's Jesus. He's a bit of a sign and a wonder guy. Perhaps he'll do some miracle for me. And it says this, he came to Jesus, and Jesus spoke to him, not one word. That's terrifying. He's the word of life. He's the word of life. He's the light of the world. And he won't speak to him. He won't, he won't utter one word to Herod. It's like, Herod, you've heard it all. You're not going to respond. I'm not going to speak to you. That is terrifying. If you've been coming to church, you've been drifting in and out, don't put yourself in that position. Don't put yourself, oh, I go along sometimes. They seem to be fun people, but I'm not going to do. Hey, don't put yourself there. Because for Herod, there came that moment where he desperately, this is, the, this is the Lord of life. This is the Savior of the world. And he won't speak to him. Don't put yourself there. And, and Jonas, he just feels this. I'm banished. And then he says, I will look to your house. I will look again to your holy temple. What does that mean? Well, do you remember when, when Solomon built the temple, you get in 1 Kings 8, he prays this incredible prayer. You remember? He prays the prayer over this temple because the temple represents the presence of God in the midst of Israel. They'd been carrying a tent until now. Now they've built this majestic temple. And Solomon prays a breathtaking prayer. And one of the things he says is this, if anyone who's far from you, if any people are away from you, if any of your people, it's like if anyone really backslides and turns far away, it says, if they turn again, if they spread their hands to this house, that's the phrase you'll find in 1 Kings 8, 38. If anyone spreads out their hands to this house, God, would you have mercy on them? The house is a place where blood will be shed, where sacrifice will be made. It all speaks of Jesus, who's now the temple. And it's like, I'm looking to your place of sacrifice. I'm looking to your place where blood will be shed. I'm looking for the place where mercy. And so Jonah is almost out. It's almost like, I'm banished. God, I remember. And he cries out to that house. And it says, when Solomon prayed that prayer, the glory of God fell on that house. It's like God from heaven said, yes, yes. And we read of Jesus, all the yeses of God are found in him. There's an answer, there's mercy, there's kindness for us. And then he says this, verse 9, what I have vowed, I will pay. Jonah's going back to his original prophetic call, really, He's going back to when he started. We know, we read yesterday, or well, the day before when I was talking to you, that he was an authentic prophet. He was a prophet. He was a man that God spoke to. He drifted. He'd lost his way. But he was an authentic prophet. He was a true prophet. What he prophesied originally happened. He was a real thing. And there must have come a time when he was first called where he just said, Lord, I will serve you. There must have been some kind of vow that he made. And now he's saying, Lord, what I have vowed, I will pay. I will pay. And, and we need to understand, this isn't just, okay, never mind, run along. No, no, this is real repentance. It's not like pat on the head, okay, you got it wrong, try harder next time. No, this is a real issue. He's really coming back to God. Beloved, that's what real repentance is. It's not, oh, sorry, Lord, I don't mean to do that again, probably will. No, 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 real repentance. Real repentance, which is what we're looking for, eh? To be, in order to be useful to God. Real repentance. Lord, I will fulfill the vow I promised. I, I, I meant it when I started with you. That's what I felt that day when God convinced me of my sin. You did run, Will. Who's hindered you? What happened? It's like God saying, hey, what happened to you? Where did you go? And I came back to God and said, Lord, I will give you my life. I meant that at the beginning. I'm going to do it now. And actually, for the first time in my life, I just gave without reservation. Without reservation, I gave my life. And here it says, that the vow, what I vowed, I will pay. 
It says in Ecclesiastes 5, when you make a vow to God, don't be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. We make promises to God. Sometimes we make promises to God when we're in difficulties. Get me out of this, Lord. Get me through this exam, Lord. Give me this job, Lord. Sell this house, Lord. I promise. We make all kinds of vows. And the Bible says it's better you don't vow and you don't pay. Come on. That's what it's saying. Psalm 66, I will pay you my vows which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. When I was in trouble, I said, Lord, get me out of this, anything. God takes no pleasure in a fool. If we vow, we should repay. What you have vowed, what I vowed, I will repay. You keeping the promises you made? You say, well, Lord, I promise. I will, I will, I will tithe. I will, when we get married, we're going to start this. When I get through, I'm going to do that. We're going to raise a family biblically. I'm going to cherish my wife. I love this girl you've given me. I'll cherish her. I'll care for her. Yeah, well, you know, nobody does these days. No, no, I promise. That's what you promised. I'll obey him. I'll respect him. Ah, but he's a clown. No, no, you said, I'll respect him. I'll obey him. You said for better, for worse. You made incredible vows. Yeah, but no one does. No, God's speaking to you. He, he says, you're a fool to make a vow and not fulfill it. I remember speaking at the Bible Week years ago in front of thousands of people. I said, I will never leave Wendy. I will never leave her. I said in front of thousands of people, people joke, you're throwing away your bargaining power, aren't you? I said, no, no, I said, <laughs> I, 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 said, I said that at the beginning. It's not like, here's a dangerous thing to say. I said the dangerous thing at the beginning. At the beginning, I said, for better, for worse. I love her, I cherish her, that's what I promise. So he suddenly said in front of thousands of people, it's a bit dangerous, isn't it? You're throwing away your bargaining power. You can't threaten. You know, no, I've got no room to threaten. I made a vow. You made some vows? God's looking for us to say to him, what I promised, I, what I vowed, I will, I will fulfill. I will pay the vows that my mouth has spoken. Some might say, well, I'm disqualified now. Jonah could have said, well, you know, I did promise him that, but I've thrown it away. And we can sometimes opt out because, well, I threw it away. It's gone. You know, I've lost it. Did God let you off? So evidently, God had not let Jonah off. Sometimes we think, well, I've blown it. That's the end. It says in the Old Testament, show me the certificate of our divorce. <laughs> it's like God said, did I let you, did I let you go? You may think, I failed God, I, I lost the opportunity, I was hoping I would be this, and I thought, actually, God made me promises, I made promises to him, but it hasn't happened, so there's no point then. Uh, did God let you off? Did God, is that the end from God's point of view as well? Jonah, God's not finished with Jonah. We can't say I've disqualified myself if God says, no, 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 we're still in this. So that's, that's what he prayed, right? We've seen when he prayed... We see why he prayed. He was in problems. We see what he prayed. We're seeing here what he prayed. Now, let's see what's God's response. Okay, let's, let's press on. God's, God's response to him. The wonderful thing we read is this. The Lord delivered him. God stepped in. And, and this is the terrific, I love this phrase. It says, the Lord commanded the fish. Don't you like that? God can command fish. Isn't that encouraging if you're a fisherman? You know, God can get on there. God. God, God can command fish. God can command all sorts of things. So God, can God command a fish? He can command rivers, stop. The River Jordan, stopped. God commanded the sea, open up. The Red Sea opened up. God commanded it, closed down. God commanded some lions, don't bite. 
That's hilarious, isn't it? They throw in the lion's den, and the lion's go, <laughs> they can't buy it. They can't do it. And then the fire, these three guys are thrown in the fiery furnace. God says to the fire, don't burn. It's amazing what God can command. You see, can God get me out of it? Yes, God can get you out of it. Can God get me out of this problem? I made such a problem for myself. My life's so compli- compli- complicated now. I made so many stupid choices, bad decisions. I'm in such a mess. Is it possible? God can command your circumstances and have you spat out of them. That's what the Bible says. And it didn't just spit him back into the sea. Like, whoa, you're back in. Whoa, no, no. He's on to dry land. God can change things. God can speak. You get that wonderful word in Psalm 66 when he, the, the, the psalmist talks about everything went over his head. He went through incredible difficulties. It says, the Lord brought me out into a large place. Let me just find that and read that wonderful verse to you. It always reminds me of the story of Joseph when I read it. Psalm 66, uh, verse 10. You have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is, re- is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden on our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. You brought us out into a place of abundance. That's what happened with with Joshua. He's he's just everyone. I mean, with Joseph, everyone's forgotten Joseph. He's in prison. It's like God gave him this wonderful promise. Your brothers will worship you, at least bow down to you. You know, you're going to have a position. And then everything that happens, no, it's not fair. It's, I've been lied to. I've been cheated. People spoke against me. He's in prison. It's got every step taken further and further away. And people ride over his head. The net's gone all around him. I'm in prison. There's no way out for me. He's one step from being prime minister of Egypt. One step. God brought him out into a place of abundance. God can do that. He can do it in a moment. He can bring you into his place of deliverance. This is what we see with Jonah. God can bring us into this place of deliverance. Then it says this, he spoke to him. That's where I started. He spoke to him. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. Notice this. It was exactly the same word. It wasn't, okay, 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 Jonah, you blew the Nineveh thing. You know, that would have been amazing. You would have seen revival. Uh, forget that. I've got this other little job for you. No, he spoke to him exactly the same. He brought exactly the same word to him, full of promise, full of what he didn't want to do. It's the same word. He brought the same word to him. And beloved, this is what repentance is about. It's going back to what God says is true. You see, we want repentance to say, sorry, I can't do that, Lord. I, I, I'll, I'll do this. No, can we do? No, no, no. This is repentance. You come back to what God says. You line up with what God says. God hasn't changed. Bob Mumford said, God and us are incompatible, and God isn't changing. <laughs> we have to line up with God. We have to come back and let him change us. And so it says this wonderful word, Jonah obeyed. All right? Jonah arose, and it says this, he went according to the word of the Lord. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. That's what God wants for your marriage. We go according to the word of the Lord. You cherish your wife. You obey your husband. You respect him. You give him that honor that he's supposed to have. You don't mock him. You don't joke about him. You don't talk to the kids in front of him as though he's trash. You respect him. Wives, you love your husbands. You love your wives. You care for them. You make choices that show you cherish them. But nobody, no, that's not what we're talking about. What nobody else We're coming back and going according to the word of the Lord. We will run our business righteously. We're going to live according to... That's the whole thing. Come See, that's the whole tragedy of the book. God said, do this. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going from your presence. You come back to his presence. What do you say? The same thing. 
What do we do? We go according to the word of the Lord. We get back into line. That's what the point is. We get back into line. We don't say, oh, I've forgotten that. I'm sorry I made a mess. Oh, no, you don't fool around. You get back in. That's true repentance. We go according to the word of the Lord. In our church life, we go according to the word of the Lord. That has to be done corporately. That's why we're building new churches, beloved. Because sometimes a preacher like me will put it all on the individual and then we do church how we like. There's not corporate obedience. We say, oh, we do voting. We do this. We do that. We have bishops. We have all sorts of strange things. Well, where's that in the Bible? Yeah, but well, that's the church. You do that in the church. But you obey God in your life. You obey God in your life. What about the church? Well, we do what we like in the church. <laughs> I spoke at a pastor's conference and they said to me, why are you starting new churches? They're really angry with us for starting new churches. And this guy asked me this question. Why don't you just support the failing churches? That was a question I was asked. I mean, they say, you're, you're starting all these new churches. We don't like you doing that. Why don't you support the failing churches? I was so glad he asked it that way. Because I said to him, sir, you have to ask, why are they failing? Why are they failing? Are these churches with all that shouting at one another at business meetings, arguing, screaming, voting, all this stuff? I was in uh, Stockholm a few weeks ago. I said, is there a state church here in Stockholm? They said, yeah, it's the Lutheran church. So, start, uh, so Sweden state church is Lutheran. I said, oh, what's it like? How's it going on? He said, our archbishop is a lesbian who's got her uh, live-in partner. That's the archbishop of the church. And they say, why are you starting new churches? You must be joking. <laughs> we want, and we're not trying to just do something for, to just be novel. We want to get it right. We want to do church according to the word of the Lord. And, and if we can be shown, hey, what you're doing is, hey, that's not what it actually says in the Bible, then we need to change. It's not that we're the oracle, but if it's in the word, let's do it. Let's do it. And I've seen so many churches in the UK that started in fires of hostility. People, 10, 15, 12 churches we started in homes that are now 400, 700, 900, grown to be the biggest church in town. Why? Because they're building it God's way. That's why we, we've got to obey. We don't just obey. It's not like, well, you must obey, but church, probably do what we like. No, we've got to obey corporately as well. Is that, what it's, is that how we do church? Is that what God wants in his church? Does God want the Holy Spirit in his church? Does God want his presence in his church? Oh, yeah, but we don't. Hey, what does God want? What is the word of the Lord? What are we doing? We're going according to the word? Oh, but it doesn't. Hey, come on. According to the word of the Lord. We're going according to the word of the Lord. And in the presence of the Lord, we worship, we enjoy, we celebrate. We make Jesus known. We want to go according to the word of the Lord. That's what repentance is about. That's what recovery is about. That's what Luther discovered. Hey, what's happening to the church? It's all over the place. He said, let's come back to the Bible. Let's walk according to the word of the Lord. And you may say, well, if I do, I could, I could offend. I could upset people. Beloved, that's where the choice has to be made. People get into all kinds of bad relationships. Well, if I walk away from her, I'll upset her. You shouldn't even be in her life. You have no permission to be in her life. What are you doing? But it will upset her. She, no, 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 come on. Walk according to the word of the Lord. I could lose my job. Hey, let's walk according to the word of the Lord. That's what real repentance is. That's the point of the story. He begins to walk according to the word of the Lord. And then we see this amazing, amazing outcome. I guess one of the most amazing revivals in Bible history. A town of 120,000. Mass revival. Mass revival. A town of 120,000. Huge impact. I had the high privilege recently of speaking in a church in Springfield, Missouri. I was hugely impressed with them. Why? Well, this 120,000 reminds me. They said, well, I said, what's the population of Springfield? They said 120,000. How many have you got in your church? Eight and a half thousand. Eight and a half thousand? 
in a town of 120,000? Come on. I mean, that takes a, mag that takes a huge metropolis to get 8,000. Now we've got 8,000, 8,500 here. Wow. But the more I listen to them, the more I, more I follow this guy on Twitter now, the pastor, he's talking about their prayer meeting every Wednesday night. Be there tonight, prayer tonight. Don't forget, Wednesday night's the prayer meeting. Every week, let's be there in prayer. Next morning, I read in Twitter last week, he said, the presence of God in the prayer meeting last night, I can hardly get over it. I'm so excited. I think, whoa, what a church. They pray. They seek God. They put prayer first. Eight and a half thousand in a town of 120,000. It's the sort of figures that John was giving us in his word the other night about the growth of the mustard seed. When he first went there, this guy went to 70 people. 70 people. Now he's got 8,500. It's incredible. Going according, as far as he knows how, going according to the word of the Lord. Shall we do it? Let's do it, beloved. Let's do it. Let's do it in the we're church planting out there in Spokane whether we've been here and the massive changes that Rob's made here to turn a church around from a tradition that dominated it to life, something in life and health, whether we're making massive changes where we are, whether we're risking let's go, Austin, Texas, what a story. Spokane, what a story. We're going, we're going. Let's see what God will do. Let's do it according to the word of the Lord. Let's do what he's telling us to do, amen? Let's do it with faith. Let's expect incredible results. Why not? Here's an amazing thing. God says, go. And it's amazing. He didn't even have a gospel. He says, you're going to perish. There's no, but if you repent, didn't even say that. They repented. God can move powerfully when we obey him. God can co-labor with us. God can let people turn up as they're finding in Spokane, all these different nationalities. Where are they coming from? Our dear friends who've just gone to Istanbul, people coming said, we've had dreams of Jesus. Tell us about Jesus. Oh, the Lord's working with us then. You can't get into people's dreams. He can. The Lord working with us as we go to Istanbul. That's tough. That's weird. Difficult. But the Lord's going with us because we want to do it his way. One last thing before I close. We don't have time to go there. But if you looked at chapter 4, you find this guy is still not perfect. He's still complaining. He's still complaining. He's moaning. But ah, they all repented, didn't want them to repent. And then it says a vine grew up, and oh, good, saving me from the sun. Then it dies. <laughs> What's happening? You know, he's a miserable guy. <laughs> Let me just say a couple of things. God uses people who are not totally sanctified yet. See, sometimes when you go through a big crisis, you think, Wow, I'm through. I'm through. I really got through. I'm, I'm, no, no, this guy had revival. He's still not whole yet. Let's not kid ourselves because we've seen a bit of success with God's man of faith and power. There's maybe all kinds of stuff God's still going to deal with in you. All kinds of things, selfishness. God's, God will use imperfect people. Isn't he merciful? Isn't it amazing? He will use people he's still got lots to do in. Say, oh, God used me. Yeah, still got a lot to do in you. Still a lot of attitudes. Still a lot of stuff he wants to iron out. But look how patient. Look how patient he is. He just argues. I mean, why would you argue with a prophet like Jonah? Just stamp on him. He just keeps on, well, why, why do you think this Jonah? What do you think about that Jonah? You know, the gourd grew and then it stone and the wind came and it burned down. But I, it's like God's, re why does God reason with him? He's an ugly guy. Do you know God's for you? You're an ugly guy. God's after you. And beloved, let's know that. You're sometimes, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Sometimes you clunk against the earthen vessel. I thought he was supposed to be a holy man of God. Now you hit the bit of the earthen vessel. God's still dealing with it. We're all, we're all in a process, beloved. None of us is through. Paul says, I'm not yet attained. Sometimes you hit the earthen vessel. You think, wow, he clunks a bit sometimes. But he's got this treasure. We've got this grace on us. Let's be patient with one another. God was so patient with Jonah. Incredibly patient. 
And I guess the only way we know the story is that Jonah told it. No one else could have told this story. It's Jonah's story. So although he looks dead, he looks terrible right to the end. He's still moaning. But he wrote the story. It's like, yeah, that's what happened. He's out in the open now. Everything's open now. He got right through in the end. I believe he got right through. He wouldn't have written it up. He just said, I saw a great revival. He wouldn't say, I moaned about the good. No, God got him through. Beloved, God wants to get you through. There's all kinds of stuff in your life. Sometimes you see yourself in the mirror, you think, gosh, am I really like that? Did I really say that? I'm supposed to be a woman of God, a man of God. You often get shocked. You think, oh, God. But God's still at work in us, amen? God's at work in us. God's at work in new frontiers. God's changing lives. He's adjusting. He's teaching. We need to talk to one another in love, encourage one another in love. If anyone's overtaken in a fault, let those who are spiritual, it doesn't mean the highly spirit, it means the others, restore him with a spirit of gentleness, lest we ourselves get trapped. Let's help one another through, beloved. Let's believe God. Let's believe God that we can see another town, another town. We can raise up more guys. We can put them through trilogy. We can get them on year teams. We can see more guys come through. We can plant more churches. We can touch this nation and the nations for God. God can do breathtaking things with us, beloved, if we'll just go according to the word. True repentance. Please don't mess with God. Jonah messed with God. He fooled around. He wasted. He was in danger of wasting everything. And then he remembered, and he called out, and, and he, he said, I will fulfill my vow. Will you do 